when the United States of America came into the 20th century, the country was largely rural. That meant that most people lived outside of urban areas. That meant that they made their living by the sweat of their brow and the calluses of their hands. They had little communication. When it came to transportation, we like to romantically call it the horse and buggy stage, but here's what I'm going to tell you what it really was. It was really the horse and wagon stage because those wagons were used for transportation. If you've ever ridden in a wagon pulled by a horse, it was really rough going. They didn't have shock absorbers and they didn't have smooth roads. You just took what you got. And, uh, um, and it took a long time to get wherever you were going. In rural America during that time, it was a commonplace thing for around daylight, maybe a little after daylight, but around daylight every Sunday morning, the preacher would show up at that one building in town called the church house. <clears throat> church houses in those days, somewhere in the back or the front, they had a rope. And that preacher would grab that rope and he would ring the bell. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Not because you were born in, not because you were alive in 1900. You just remember that. I mean, I remember in the church that I was raised in, in the back vestibule, there was a, there was a rope there and we could ring the bell and disturb the peace and we had a good time with it. But when the preacher ring that, rung that bell back in the, at the turn of the century, it was a, it was a call to everybody across the area. It, here's what it said. It said, today is the Lord's day. Don't forget. Get your chores done, get your wagon hitched, and get to the Lord's house. And all across the area, they would uh, uh, get up and they would milk their cow, they would feed the chickens, they would slop the hogs. I know you don't like me saying that, but it's true. They'd get everything ready, then they'd get their wagon hitched up, then they'd go in and clean up a little bit, put on their Sunday go-to-meeting clothes, and then they would start off across the way what would be anywhere from 45 minutes to probably two, two and a half hours to drive to church, and they would arrive at the church building somewhere around 9.45. Now, by the way, all of us traditionalists, that is how we got to 9.45 on Sunday morning. It was the earliest the farmers could get to the church building and get everything done. And we made it a religion in some places. You see, folks, the truth is, what I'm trying to illustrate to you is that from the very beginnings of America, going to the church house, going to worship was a big deal, and in many cases, even expected. Now, I'm not telling you it was always for the right reason, teenagers, but you were expected to go to church in my lifetime, I'll mention my, the church that I was raised in, late 60s, 70s. The church was still the center of activity in the community. Nothing happened in the community while church services were going on. There weren't any soccer games, there weren't any cheerleading going on, there wasn't any tennis, there wasn't anything. In fact, that was a sacred holy time. But in recent years, things have changed. Now, I want to say something to the crowd my age and older. As much as you want it to, it's not going back there. As much as we want it to, it's not, that's not happening again. And we can go to our grave being stubborn, or we can deal the hand, or we can play the hand that's dealt us because our goal is not to get people to church at a certain time or anything else. Our goal is to bring people to the Lord. 
When we think about churches today, let me give you some sad facts. George Barna is a name that people know as somebody that surveys and puts out facts based on raw data. He did a survey of the trends of churches and religions that span from 1991 to 2011, a 20-year period of time. And the results are startling and surprising. In 2011, the number of people who believed this book to be the authentic Word of God dropped by 8%. In that same 20-year period of time, not to be surprised, the number of adults that believed God to be all the O's of God, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect, the number of adults that believed that in those 20 years dropped by seven points. During that same period of time, the number of adults who studied their Bible weekly outside of a church service dropped by 5%. Church volunteerism dropped by 8%. Adult attendance in churches during those 10-year period, 20-year period of time dropped by 9%. Here's your one. The only uptick in any, in any statistic during that 20-year period of time was 5% more people, adults, professed to be born again in 2011 than in 1991. That's amazing, but not surprising. For you see, please listen, we have as a people become masters at redefining what Jesus said when he said, being born again. So today, everybody kind of decides on their own what it means to be born again. And I will just say this to you. You can come up with your own definition of what it means to be born again, what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a believer. You can make that decision for yourself, and you'll be wrong because you and I don't get to set the standard. He sets the standard. In the midst of all this truth, I ask a question today on National Back to Church Sunday. It is, is the church still needed today? Now, for us who have given our life to the church, for us who are here week in and week out, oh, yeah, in fact, it's real funny to me is that People who are not here week in and week out still think we need the church. They just don't think they need to be highly involved, and that's kind of confusing to me. I think it's a fair question on National Back to Church Day. Is the church still needed today? Because let's be, let's be honest, we're all busy people. Everybody here is busy. Nobody needs one more meeting, just another meeting, just another activity, just another drain on their time or their energy or their finances. We don't need just one more thing to do. Could I get an amen? We're busier than we really ought to be. But I want to say this to you. Based on what we just read. Is that I believe not only do we need the church. But I believe if we're going to save our culture, our community, and our country. 
that we have to have the church. I think I would be remiss if I didn't say that it's my personal opinion that the violence, the murderous activity, the state of the world today does not, has not happened because darkness is so much more evil. It's because the light of Jesus Christ through his church has become so dim. You see, we need the church, but we need the right kind of church. We need the church that gets its energy from the Lord. I, I stole Kathy's music when she was walking out. Brother Jerry and I did not. Um, we did not get together and try to give you a double dose. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Look how God works. Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. You see, that's the kind of church we need because, you see, the church offers what nobody else can offer. The church has to give what no one else can give. I'm not just talking in terms of social or governmental or political or recreational or community or anything else. All those, although all of those things are a part of what we do, but what I'm telling you is that the church can offer what no other entity can offer. The church doesn't just offer answers The church offers the answer, Jesus. Everything else is fluff. We offer Jesus. Now, from our text, I'm going to make this as simple as I can. I just want to bring three words, three thoughts, three subjects to you from our our two scriptures that I think define the church. Why we need the church. The first word is the word opportunity. The first word is the word opportunity. Now, that's kind of confusing to some people because generally we don't think of the church as a field, a place of opportunity. And and the reason is because those of us inside the church have on many occasions taken the opportunity of the gospel and turned it into the oppression by the gospel. Verse 19, he says... I'll give you the keys. Now, are you listening? From my two cents worth, key holders always have a bigger opportunity. Those who hold keys have the opportunities to open doors and lock doors. An open door is an opportunity. And listen, the church doesn't just have any keys. It has the key to heaven, to the kingdom of heaven itself. Our Lord Jesus has given us the key. He's given us the power. He's given us the authority. He's given us the answers to this world. Are you listening? He's given Town Baptist the key to make a difference in this world. And he says, whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is going to be loose on heaven. Please listen, there's some things on earth that we need to be locking up. We need to be locking up evil. We need to be locking up immorality. We need to be locking up idolatry. We need to be locking them away so they can never be heard from again. And at the same time, we need to be opening the door to people finding God. Opening the door to Jesus. Opening the door to Calvary's cross. Opening the door to walking with Jesus each and every day. 
You think, Brother Jerry, I can't get my hands on all these keys. Well, let me just give you a... I love this. I was studying about this, and I got a call and started talking to someone about some logistical things. These aren't really spiritual things, but it's just some logistical things in our church. And let me just tell you, you don't have to have a whole bunch of keys. You just have to have the key. What's this? God has mastered this system. What in the world are you talking about, Brother Jerry? Well, last Wednesday night, we elected a security team. We already had somebody heading up a security walk to help protect our, our folks while we're in the church. But we elected um, Troy and Wayne and James and Steve. They're our security team. They're going to be deciding. They'll be writing down some things and bringing it to the church because we're going to change all the external locks. I'm telling everybody publicly. We probably have 17,000 keys out Hueytown that go to this building. And we lose things all the time. We've already voted as a church. We're going to rekey this sucker. All right? And this is not to keep people out who need to be in. This is to keep people out who shouldn't be in with what they're trying to do. You understand the difference? Okay. We got one, by my count, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine doors. Could be a little more than that, but I count nine. Now, conventional thinking is you have nine doors, you have nine external locks, you got a big old key ring, it makes you look important with nine keys on it. You got the picture? You know what we're going to do? We're going to master those things. One key opens and locks all the doors. Do you understand that is exactly what our Lord did? He mastered this system of opening and closing. And you know what what the master key is? It's right here. It's right here. Song years ago, Brother Jerry, you may not even remember it or, or ever heard of it. It says you can't stand on the promises if you don't know what they are. Everything we need to know, everything for life, everything for practice, everything for a government, everything that we need can be found right here in this book if we know it, apply it, and use it. Now, you know when churches get in trouble? It's when they try to outthink God. Have you ever heard this? Maybe have you ever said this? I know what the Bible says. But what I believe, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever said that. You know, it shouldn't be, I know what the Bible says, but what I believe. It should be, I know what the Bible says, so this is what I believe based on that scripture. You see, the principles of God are enough to govern our lives, our home, our government, our politics, and our church. And when we come to His Word without wavering, we use that key of opportunity to open the doors. The Bible offers us answers for everything that we need if we'll just follow them. Offers us for things like family, raising children. Hello, young adults, don't you like that? Raising children, marriage, immorality, government, politics, God, evil, death, And more. There are answers to be found here. And I'm just going to pause a second to tell you this. Right there under Brother David's uh, iPad, we have a box of cards just like this. On one side, it says Hueytown Baptist Church, reaching up 
And if you want to know what this stands for, it says reaching up, reaching in and out for the Lord. We reach up in worship, in in fellowship, and out in evangelism. And it has our times on here. You can hand this to somebody. I've already given out probably two dozen of these going through. Uh, <clears throat> I can't pick on Deborah. She's back in the nursery. But where I ate this week while she was out of town, y'all, 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 are y'all getting the picture through the drive through windows? I just handed them and I said, and I said, uh, uh, listen, on one side is an invitation to our church. We'd love to have you at any time. But on the flip side, there's a website that says truelife.org. I looked this morning, and on that side and on that website, they can find videos of at least 15 different topics. Mormonism, homosexuality, God, evil, immorality, marriage. There are all kind of topics here that people can find. People who are looking for answers can find answers. We have 5,000 of these. You need to take about 100 yourself. And you, when you go to a restaurant, let's leave one there. You go through a drive through hand them someone. When you meet someone, hand What would it be like if you gave somebody a card and they came to know the Lord and they missed hell and they made heaven? Now we're talking about what the church is all about, taking advantage of the opportunity, and it can be just found in something as simple as a card. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a guilt trip on you because I'm going to tell you how it is around here. We lay things out down here all the time for you to give you an opportunity And it lays here. Shame on you. God has called us to be the light in this community. God has called us to open the door in this community. And we have to be a part. You see, the only way the church can help, the only way we can help with answers and with questions is to be involved in the church. Oh, I'm involved, Brother Jerry. Yeah, you are. How often do you come? Well... If it doesn't rain, I try to come every other week. You know, I come every six months. I'm reading a book right now you'd love, not a fan. It's entitled Kyle Eidelman. is a pastor of of a Southeast Christian church in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a little old church about to drop and blow away. Um, Last Easter Easter they wrote this. They were expecting 30,000 in weekend services. So, you know, it's a poor little church. But he said, you know, I was sitting here thinking about who's going to show up for this Easter service. And he said, I thought about all those folks who come at Christmas and Easter. He said, we call them Christers. I remember being in in a youth musical where it talked about people who come at Christmas and Easter. And it says... This guy says, well, I come at Christmas and Easter, and surely God will let me into heaven. And the response was, you think God will even know who you are? You see, folks, we have a different level of commitment to God's house than we do to the ball field, than we do to our country club, than we do to our cheerleading, than we do to our band, than we do to our football. I want to tell you this. I got kicked out of the volunteer fire department in Pensacola, Florida, because I wasn't really committed. And I say this about you. What would happen if you attended your club? Practice. The way you attended the Lord's house and took part. Truth is, they'd kick you off the team. Well, Brother Jerry, are you trying to shame us into being on your team? No, this is not my team. Yes, God's put me here... I guess as the coach or something. He put me here. 
but we're on his team to share his light. It is an opportunity that he has given us. He's given us the key. Second word is the word opposition. Boy, Brother Jerry, you know how to build a church talking about opposition. And I just thought about this for a little bit. And I want to just come downstairs here and I want to burst your bubble. I want to burst every person's bubble in this room. Are you ready? Taylor, you ready? I'm going to burst your bubble. Not everybody likes you. Not everybody likes you. Somebody don't like what you do. And you know, it's the weirdest thing in the world. People don't like you for weird reasons. They don't like how you look. They don't like how you talk. They don't like how you dress. They don't like how you think. They don't like how you smell. They don't... Well, that may be a real good reason, okay? (laughs) And you know what? Let me tell you the unfairness of, of opposition. They may not like you because somebody painted an unfair picture of you and they've never met you. But here's what I want to say to you. Everybody has opposition. Everybody has those folks who oppose us. I heard it said years ago that you can tell the character of a person by the people who oppose him. You see, there are some folks that are just going to oppose you no matter what. They're going to try to create trouble. They're going to try to create problems. Right now, some of you are going, yeah, he's right. I know this and so. And you start naming names, don't you? I don't want to say this to you. Everybody shares a common enemy. Everybody shares a common enemy. Goes by many names. In the Garden of Eden, he was the serpent. In heaven of all places, in Isaiah, he was Lucifer, the day star. He ultimately got kicked out of heaven, if you read the Revelation. In the wilderness, where Jesus had just finished fasting for 40 days, he was the voice. Of temptation. He goes by many names. We call him Satan. We call him the devil. We call him the deceiver. We call him Lucifer. But listen to me. He is your enemy. He's referred to in the Bible as being darkness, as being death, as being evil. He's not only your enemy, he is the church's enemy. And Jesus has said, recognize your opposition, church, because the forces of hell will not stand against you. You stick with me, Jesus said, and your opposition will be brought to its knees. You see, folks, when the church decides to be the church, then we can stand against all evil. The church is the only entity given the power, given the authority to stand against the forces of hell. We have all that we need to stand in this evil day. Jesus came and he established the church. Jesus came and he died for the church. Jesus came and he empowered the church. And one day, Jesus is coming back for the church.
If the evil is going to be pushed back, if the evil that surround us is ever going to be pushed back, the church is going to do it. If there's going to be a culture worth living in, the church will push back the darkness. If there's going to ever be a government worth living under, it'll be because the church pushes back the evil found in the government. If there's going to be a, ever be a community worth enjoying and trusting, it'll be because the church, now you're listening, has finally come out of the closet and pushed back the evil that's permeating our society. The church is opposed on all fronts. Not just by governmental or worldwide things. The church is opposed on all fronts. When I was studying, I'm thinking about the opposition to the church, which means the contrary teaching that goes on around. I kind of got a heavy heart. Because I remember an old Goffin buddy of mine. I loved him. Still do. I'll call him Mike. Now, in this case, the name has been changed to protect the guilty. Mike's wife and kids were highly involved in the, in the church I pastored. And I make no bones about it. He and I loved golf. And I saw the golf course as a place to have a spiritual conversation with him on his turf. We played golf probably for two or three years. One time he told me, he said, you think I'm getting closer to God because of our conversations, but you just need to know I got it all figured out. I just, let me tell you why he was like that. And let it just burn into your hearts, church. When he was 12, 13, and 14, highly involved in Sunday school, he saw men and women do ungodly and unspeakable things in the church to the church leadership and to each other. And he was scarred for life. One thing about a scar, there's no feeling there. I was cut by barbed wire right here. Big scar. No feeling. And that was mine. His opposition continued with how he taught his kids and taught his family. We were having a discussion one day about morals. And I wanted to know where he got his standard from. And he said, well, you know, I just know what's right and wrong. I said, say it again. He said, I got it figured out. I know what's right and wrong. I said, so you've, you don't have any standard, bear, any Standard, any benchmark, you just kind of make up what's right. He said, I know. Now, he had a beautiful young 15-year-old daughter. Now, I just want to say this, stunningly attractive. Eyes that just that melted a lot of teenage boys' hearts. Why did I point at these two guys? Y'all figure it out, okay? <laughs> I am telling you, I will call her Sue. In her case, her name has been changed to protect the innocent. And I said to my friend, I said, Mike, I said, let me ask you a question. Since you get 
since your philosophy is you get to set the bar for what's right and wrong, what happens in three years when Sue turns 18? And she subscribes to your way of deciding what truth is. And she decides, my dad's so archaic, there's absolutely nothing wrong with sex outside of marriage, and she moves in with a boyfriend. What are you going to say then? And he looked at me and he says, Well, preacher, I hope she knows what to do. Brothers and sisters, the church, the church is the place where the door of immorality and hurt needs to be locked. And and may I say this to you teenagers and to adults? Hurt always follows immorality. You see, God didn't tell us to be moral because he's mean. He told us to be moral because he loves us. You know the best way to stop teenage pregnancy? I come by, everybody get mad at me. It's not condoms. It's not birth control. It's wait till you get married. You know how to stop STDs, sexually transmitted diseases? Don't have More than one sexual partner. Wait till you get married. Hello? You see, this isn't complicated. We try to outthink God. We need to lock the door on immorality and hurt. And we need to open the door on healthy, lifelong, enjoyable relationships. This is one reason that we need to church. What's another reason? I know the time's getting away. Y'all just hang on. Another reason we need the church is because the church is the only group which has been given the responsibility to taking that key and opening the door to heaven. Oh, there's opposition for that today. You call a group to pray. And they go, is that all we're going to do? Have you thought about that? Is that all we're going to do is pray? Have you really thought about that? I mean, think about it. If I were to put you on the phone with the President of the United States, I, I'm not talking about because it's Barack Obama. I'm just talking about the guy sitting in the Oval Office. And you go, you know what? I may get something done now. Because you got the President of the United States on the other end of the phone. When you bow your knee, when you bow your head, when you bow your heart, you have the Creator of all the universe on the other end of the line. He's the one that can change hearts. He's the one that can change lives. He's the one that can overcome the opposition. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. And we hold the key. We hold the key to that narrow gate, that narrow road, that narrow way. I wonder, are we using the key? And it is mentioned in Jesus there that we come back to our text for our last thought. opportunity of having the key the opposition of hell will not stand against the church when she does right and you know why that is that's because of the ownership of the church that's number three the ownership of the church jesus says i will 
build my church. Now, I'd like to have, now that you've gotten all three of your little blanks filled in, I'd like to have your eyes for a little bit. This is the message that we need to hear in this place. The church that we need in this culture is His. We need His church. It's not ours. In fact, let me go a step further. If this church is ours, I would say the answer to our title question was no. And do you know why that is? Brother Jerry, you just don't like us. Yeah, I love us. Here's the deal, because if it's our church, if it's our church, then we can only do what we can do, and that's not much. If it's His church, we can do what He wants us to do. What He empowers us to do. And it is this ownership issue. It is this ownership issue that has destroyed many churches today. Jesus says, I will build my church. Paul affirms Jesus in Colossians when he writes, He, Jesus, is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. The church which this community needs is a church that is totally sold out and owned by Him. HBC, Hueytown Church, belongs to the Lord. He is not the manager. He is not the president. He is not the CEO. He is above that. He is the founder. He is the owner. And He is the sole proprietor. This church, our goal is to please Him. Our goal is to fulfill His ministry. Our goal is to respond to His wishes. And he decides. Are you listening? He decides what the church is to be. In fact, he's already decided. He's already laid it out, what the church should be, how the church should function. And more importantly, are you ready? Who can be members? Oops. Who can be members? Now, at this point, I just want to say to you, the church still needed? His church is needed. Owned by him, opposed by, by hell, and hell cannot stand against it. And it is a church of opportunity. But I want to end the few minutes that we have left with that question. Who can be a member of God's church? <clears throat> now let me really throw some of you into a tizzy. Invitation. Excuse me, membership into this into God's church is by invitation only. Hang with me. Are you going to go out here and say I said something I didn't say? The Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. He is the only way to the Father. Without Him... You have no hope of becoming God's child. You're God's creation, but you're not God's child. What I will say to you is that the Bible says what we know about ourselves. The Bible says there's none righteous. The Bible says for all have sinned. The Bible says for the wages, the compensation, the payment for sin is death. There is no reprieve. There is no other way 
than death. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there's no remission for sin. The Bible goes on to say that Jesus died once for all. He was godly. He lived a sinless life. Jesus died once for all. The godly for us ungodly. Here's why. That he might bring us to God. That means, in the words of the Bible, that we have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. No other way. You want to be a part of the church? You have to be a part of his family. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to come to him in repentance. You have to come to him in confession. You have to be forgiven. And then you're part of his children. And when you become a part of his children, watch this. Now that you've heard the gospel message, here's what's going on in your heart. Now that you've heard what it takes to be saved, here's what's going on in your heart. It happens every time. The preacher gives, or, the, or you witness and give the message, and the Holy Spirit of God is working in your heart. That is your invitation. Because God desires no one to be lost. You've heard the message. The invitation is extended. I didn't extend it. In Acts chapter 2, Peter ended his message. As you've heard me say many times, Therefore let all the house of Israel know that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And then it goes on to say, and they were cut to their heart. That's the invitation. That's God's invitation to you. Is the church still needed? You bet. But you know what's needed? To form the church, people who have been changed by the power of God, forgiven of their sin, and now walking with Jesus. Are you walking with Jesus? Has Jesus changed your life? I haven't asked if you've taken a preacher by the hand. I haven't asked if you've been dunked, sprinkled, christened. I asked, have you responded to the invitation of God to come to Jesus and be saved? The invitation is out here today. Everybody's invited because that is the heart. That is the very nature of God. Now that you know how, would you come? And let's make the church his church. Pray with me.